Hey everybody, welcome again to F This Movie, the official podcast of FThisMovie.com, movie love for movie lovers. My name is Patrick Bromley and I'm super excited for this week's show. It is our first episode of Juneploitation 2021, which means I'm joined for this very special slasher episode by the man who uh, writes a regular column 5282 at FThisMovie.com and he's the host of the Cult Movies podcast. Please welcome back to the show... Anthony King. Hey, Anthony. Happy June exploitation, Patrick. Thank you so much. This is very exciting. I uh, the, the past two weeks, you you were keeping it real classy with Chelsea and and then Brian, and uh, now it's time to get sleazy and and gross with me, I guess, huh? All right, I picked the right <laughs> man for the job. Oh God. <laughs> uh, if you are unfamiliar with June exploitation, it is our annual month-long celebration of exploitation and genre films. We have a calendar up at fthismovie.com, and uh, you go to the calendar every day. There's a new theme, uh, and then you just watch a movie that corresponds to that day's theme. So like today, the day this podcast is coming out, it is Slasher Day, which is why we're going to be talking about I Know What You Did Last Summer from 1997, <laughs> the most famous slasher of them all. It, yeah, it, talk about exploitation. This is super sleazy, right? <laughs> uh, but before we get into talking about all of that, Anthony, have you seen anything good lately? Uh, I have. I just told you before we started recording that uh, uh, kind of went, uh, had a phenomenon happen where it's. I looked at my letterbox diary and realized that everything that I've watched for the past like month has been really good, and uh, that's really exciting. So um, I'm going to do something kind of out of character. Uh, all my friends kind of tease me that I don't ever watch newer movies. Um, I spend a lot of time in the 60s and the 70s um but i have uh i'm going to talk about five movies if that's okay three of them are recent and this first one is coming out on blu-ray uh what is it the 8th june 8th i think uh from jill gavarzagizian uh the stylist uh arrow is putting out that blu-ray but uh right now you can watch it on arrowplayer.com and I was this was probably my most uh, anticipated movie of last year, kind of after we went on to lockdown and there was no like huge movie that really caught my eye. I was really looking forward to this because, you know, you followed along with them on social media to see the the Indiegogo campaign or whatever campaign they were running and like they smashed their goals. And and uh, Jill being a Midwest woman uh is cool like uh, patrick and i were in the midwest and so it was kind of cool to watch this uh kind of bigger film being made here uh we got to watch it basically every day being made so that's really neat anyways uh finally watched the stylist and i really liked the short i watched that uh, a few years ago and this is one of the strongest first features i've ever seen it is crazy uh good for a first time director uh jill is i mean my god i was just completely blown away i was expecting it to be pretty strong uh having seen the short but i, I was completely blown away uh by the crew and the cast that she assembled and it just looks so cool the lighting i was completely blown away and then this being you know, uh, I don't think it's a spoiler to say the main character scalps people 
and uh, the sound design is key, and boy, did they nail that. It was real icky sounding. Uh, but I loved, loved this movie, and I was happy, happy to uh, love the movie. Have you seen it yet, Patrick? I have. We saw it late last year because we were we had donated to the Kickstarter at whatever level got us access to the movie. Like, there was one weekend where you could watch it. So I watched it, and I said, well, this would be one of my favorite horror movies of 2020 were it released in 2020. Now that it's officially out, I can call it one of my favorite horror movies of 2021 because I'm completely with you. I think it's so good. Yeah, I was, I mean, I just completely blown away. And I, I love uh, seeing Brie. She's great and you know, whatever she's in, uh, Brie Grant. But, uh, I mean, I was just so, I mean, you, you want to root for Jill and, uh, you know, I donated a tiny, tiny bit. So, you know, just whatever I could give at that time. Uh, but I just happy to see that this film turned out and then, you know, getting really nice distribution with this cool disc from arrow, which is really exciting. Yeah. That's amazing for, for your first movie to get kind of that special edition treatment from a label like arrow is really, really cool. I'm really happy for, I'm excited to pick that disc up. Uh, and next up I watched, uh, (laughs) The some called it the most anticipated movie that never came out last year, and that's Saint Maud from A24. And the whole time, I kept saying to myself, "Calm down, A24," <laughs> because it is super A24. And I have nothing against that studio; uh, they put out obviously very good movies and very polished and stylish movies. And this is one of them. Uh, it. I did really enjoy it and I really love the um like there's this ambiguousness for the time period obviously it's set in in uh you know recent time current whatever present day uh but she's uh this girl is like she's kind of like a live-in nurse for uh this actress who is dying of cancer or something and inside the house you know it's kind of foggy and it's old it's an old house in england somewhere and and you're not sure of the time but when she you know goes out to get groceries or something it's it's obviously it's set in the present day um this was another one i was really looking forward to seeing it uh my expectations of course were set way too high so it was impossible to reach but i did really uh, appreciate this movie i also like that kind of subgenre of the you know the single woman nurse taking care of some weird patient uh like um what's the name oz perkins i'm the pretty thing that lives in the house on netflix kind of that sort of thing i i dig that atmosphere uh but you know totally worth checking out on prime and hulu right now did you see it yet i haven't yet i've been wanting to see it obviously like you since everyone was kind of raving about it from festivals and it was impossible to see unless you had epics but now it's on prime and hulu and i keep forgetting to watch it that's how I was, and then uh, one day I think I just flipped on Prime, and I was looking through my watch list, and there it was, and I was like, "Oh shit, I better, I better watch this now." And uh, yeah, yeah, it's it's good. Um, another movie I watched on Prime that uh, I just recorded an episode of of uh, my show that I do with Jeremy Ritchie, who is an author, and he was telling me about this movie called Francis Ferguson. Uh, this super, super indie movie with uh, practically unknowns. It's narrated by Nick Offerman. has this really quirky comedy about uh, a teacher, a substitute teacher in 
Nebraska, which is where I am. Uh, but she's out on the panhandle, so that's like real boonies, and uh, ends up sleeping with a student. And uh, that premise makes it sound like this could be really dark and gross. And, I mean, you know, you boil it down, sure, it is. But it follows her through her, uh, you know, her uh, trial, her imprisonment, and then she has to get out and she has to file, of course, for as a, um, a sex offender. And then she goes through counseling and all this. And uh, the way this this actress plays it, she is so good. And this is like the only thing she's she's been in. And this came out just a, I don't know, last year, I think. So uh, I'm really looking forward to seeing what more she does. But it is so quirky. And the way she plays it is uh, she's like just annoyed by the whole thing. Yeah, I slept with this kid whatever like i have to go through all this oh it's such a pain in my ass and i don't know like the the comedy works so so well and uh weird to say but my god i love this movie have you seen francis ferguson i have if you had put a gun to my head i never could have told you the title of it uh but as soon as you said narrated by nick offerman i started getting these flashes and i'm like oh the one about the teacher right yes i have seen it i remember really liking that performance and really liking how sort of arch and dry the whole thing is, obviously aided by Nick Offerman's narration. But yeah, it's a it's a cool little indie movie that I completely forgot existed. Yeah, for sure. But I, you know, I want to make sure people have it on their radar. You can watch it on Amazon Prime, um, and it's I mean totally worth your time. It's like it's less than eighty minutes. It's like seventy eight minutes long. So like whatever, like. We're recording a podcast at night. When we're done, I could go up and watch that movie. You know, so right. uh, you have the time to watch a movie like that, and it's totally worth it. Yeah. Uh, okay, two more if you don't mind. Um, go for so it. our friend Matt Bledsoe has a podcast called Film Feast, and he's doing this monthly series uh, called Unscottable, where he's going through Tony Scott's filmography. And I'm a, I didn't realize it, but I really like Tony Scott movies, having seen all of them besides this one I'm going to talk about and then Domino, which I haven't watched yet. Uh, but, uh, I love Top Gun, you know, for what it's worth. It's a movie of my childhood. One of my favorites. Uh, but spy game is actually my favorite Tony Scott movie anyways. Uh, so I went to watch revenge cause I'm going to be doing an episode on, uh, Beverly Hills cop two oh, nice. with Matt here next week. So I went to watch Revenge, which is Tony Scott's film after Beverly Hills Cop 2. And uh, first of all, I was completely thrown off because I thought it was no way out. I got it completely confused. So Madeline Stowe comes on screen and I'm like, she's in this too with with Sean Young? (laughs) And um, so I I was completely thrown off. Uh, This... (laughs) I almost shut it off because I was like, what the hell is this? Obviously, Tony Scott is is uh, he was kind of still living in the Top Gun world. So he's got Kevin Costner as this fighter jet pilot who retires. And then he's going to move down to Mexico, I guess, to this cabin. But he knows this well, well off businessman who is a mobster of some sort, uh, really violent mobster played by Anthony Quinn. And uh, Anthony Quinn is married to Madeline Stowe. So it's real uh, slow. It kicks off real slow. It's just kind of Kevin Costner retires and he makes his way down to Mexico and he's 
playing tennis with Anthony Quinn. I'm like, what the, f- what is going on here? This is horrible. This is not Tony, Tony Scott. Uh, but then he strikes up this affair with Madeline Stowe, and the actual revenge portion starts first with Anthony Quinn uh, getting his revenge on Kevin Costner for sleeping with his wife. <laughs> when that starts, immediately, uh, I <laughs> I was sitting there, and I never, never vocalize anything when I'm watching a movie. <laughs> and I'm sitting there, and I go, oh, my fucking God. Uh because uh spoilers but it's also a trigger warning a dog dies and i was completely shocked yeah and it it really it kicks into high gear but then it sags a little blah blah blah. uh overall i liked it uh i love costner just like uh mr risky (laughs) and uh madeline stowe is she's a brilliant actor and she is uh extremely beautiful so that you know there's lots and lots of uh weird like super passionate sex lots of finger sucking which i is a little gross to me uh um (laughs) like lots of uh more finger sucking than you would think in a kevin costner (laughs) a movie that cost millions of dollars (laughs) (laughs) i gotta get that finger sucking in they had a you know prominent uh finger sucking budget anyways uh, yeah, I, I liked it. Um, you know, it's not going to be one of my top Tony Scott movies, but, uh, do, do you like revenge, Patrick? I am a, I am a revenge fan as long as you can like overlook how kind of ugly and misogynist it is. Uh, I do like the movie a lot. Yeah. I, and you know, I, I love Tony Scott. I love, uh, this is, you know, it, it looks like a Tony Scott film, I think he's one of those directors that uh, has a flavor that runs through all of his movies. And uh, I really I really like that flavor, whatever it is, that look he gets. Um, You know, it's the sun is constantly setting. They live. These people live in a world where it's always sunset. Um, And then, you know, it's smoky and hazy. But I I really dig stuff like that. And I like when Kevin Costner goes dark unless it's 3000 miles to Graceland. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and then I'm not I, uh, as big so a fan. When uh, you and was that Adam you did the podcast with? Uh, yeah. Okay, so before I listened to that, I was gonna rewatch the movie, and then uh, I was like, you know what? I I really didn't like it the first time, and uh, needless to say, I'm glad I didn't rewatch it after listening. Uh, but I agree. I think you know Costner. He goes dark, and he he plays it really well because, you know, I think. One, he can be super charming, uh, obviously, and he can be really funny. But when he goes dark, like that uh, kind of mysterious character that that is, I think Kevin Costner mm-hmm. really comes out, comes into play. He, he he uses that and uses it super well. So, I, I I really dig him in that sort of role. Yeah. Okay. One more. Uh, I just well, not just. I got the disc from Fun City Editions of Smile. Oh, nice. Bruce Dern. And uh, first off, I just want to say Fun City Editions is by far my favorite Blu-ray label right now. I've gotten all their discs. Uh, everything that Jonathan is putting out is incredibly entertaining, and the packages are phenomenal. Uh, if you haven't seen Smile, it's directed by Michael Ritchie, written and directed by Michael Ritchie, and it's uh, it's about this like beauty pageant called Young the the Young American Miss uh, pageant in this small town in California, 
And Bruce Dern plays a car salesman who is one of the annual judges of this competition. And it's, uh, you know, you got Annette Tool is early film for her, uh, Melanie Griffith early for her, and they play uh, some of the young American myths. But it's just sort of like this slice of life. Um, I didn't realize how satirical it was going to be, and I didn't realize how fucking funny it was going to be. It's a brilliant film, one of my top discoveries. It'll totally make my my discovery list at the end of the year. Um, but the the film is great, and it, it's got this. It's a cast of just character actors. Uh, Dernsey, uh, you got um, <laughs> uh, Michael Kidd plays he, who's of course the famous choreographer, but he plays a choreographer in the movie. Uh, Jeff Lewis. I mean, it's just full of these these character actors. So funny, so good, uh, but. Dernsey gives this interview, uh, this extensive interview as part of the extras, where he just talks about kind of the making of the film, but but also, you know, just working in Hollywood in general. And uh, the man is 84. I think he was probably 83 when he recorded this. And his mind is sharp as a tack. Nice. He's one of the greatest storytellers. Super entertaining. But he remembered just all these little details from this, you know, little movie that kind of fell by the wayside, you know, from MGM and, uh, you know, forgotten about basically for all these years until uh, uh, Jonathan put this disc out. And I, I, I cannot recommend it highly enough. The disc is great, but the movie, holy crap, is so, so entertaining. I'm dying to see it. I've never seen it. It's been on my radar since high school. Uh, and I've always wanted to see it and just never have. And so I have to pick this disc up. Yeah. I'd never heard of it until, uh, I had talked to Jonathan and he kind of told me what he, he was working on. And, um, so, it, and, and that's the cool thing about fun city is that he's putting out these movies that, you know, alphabet city was the first one. I'd never heard of that. And then of course I start counting. I'd never heard of that. Uh, and then smile. And then he's got walking the edge coming out this month. And it, just these movies that, uh, for some reason I've never heard of probably, probably now, but especially, you know, when I was first starting to get into movies in high school, there's no way I would have heard about these movies. So, uh, it's, you know, he's putting out these phenomenal packages. So really exciting. That's awesome. And that, uh, oh, the night we're recording, this is the night the vinegar syndrome sale goes live. So maybe I'll pick it up there. Oh, okay. Well, I got to put myself up for that, I guess. It's like <laughs> in battle, isn't it? Uh, yeah, it can be. I'm I'm not gonna fight with people this year. I, I, it's it's gotten a little overhyped, I think. But not the label. The label is great, but the the frenzy to like get everything that comes out and have to fight for limited quantities and stuff. I'm just I'm over it. Right. Uh, I'm 100% with you on that. Okay, I'm I'm done talking now. Uh, okay, uh, I've got just three that I'll talk about. Two that are new to Netflix, and then one that's an older title. Uh, the first is The Woman in the Window, which is the new Joe Wright movie that was supposed to come out in theaters and then got postponed because of the pandemic and then went straight to Netflix. Not usually a good sign. Uh, and is uh, the movie bears that out because it is not great. It uh, <laughs> stars Amy Adams as a woman who's agoraphobic in her fancy New York house. Um she meets a new family. Well, she doesn't meet the whole family. She sees a new family across the street. Gary Oldman plays the father. 
Uh, and Julianne Moore plays his wife, and she meets Julianne Moore, and they have a night where they hang out and talk. And then she sees Julianne Moore, spoilers for the trailer, I guess, uh, murdered. Shades of Rear Window, obviously, at one point early in the film. She's watching Rear Window, just in case you weren't going to get it. Thanks, Joe, right? Yeah. Uh, And then uh, it turns out that, no, she must be seeing things because Gary Oldman isn't married to Julianne Moore. His wife is played by Jennifer Jason Leigh. And she's never met Amy Adams. And what the heck is going on here? So that's the basic premise of the movie. Um, Brian Tyree Henry plays a detective. Wyatt Russell plays her uh, Amy Adams like tenant. There are a lot of big actors in this movie, and I can't for the life of me figure out what they saw in the material that caused them to sign on. Amy Adams obviously gets to do a lot of acting, uh, but somebody like Jennifer Jason Lee, who's so great, signs on for essentially two scenes, and I can't figure out what it was about the movie that she wanted to be a part of. Joe Wright uh, is a filmmaker who generally leaves me pretty cold. Um, I haven't loved most of his movies. I kind of liked Hannah, and his Pride and Prejudice was good, but he tends to, in my opinion uh over direct the material and he is really off the leash in the woman in the window so he's going nuts with the direction uh some people will like that i like a movie that's over directed a lot of times i like brian de palma a whole lot he's one of my favorite filmmakers so i like a movie that's over directed but uh here it just feels sweaty (laughs) okay so uh looking at joe wright's filmography uh, these are all movies that I avoided on purpose. Okay. And uh, I mean, I, I, I don't, I don't know him from you know, from Adam, but uh, but yeah, it's weird. This cast, uh, Jennifer Jason Lee is like maybe she's probably my favorite actress of all time. Sure. Um, and then Tracy Letts is. Oh, he wrote it. I, yeah, he's uh, one my favorite playwright. Yeah. Two. Uh, I, I think he adapts really well, like his screenplays really well. So I can't imagine, you know, I, it sounds like these actors saw the script and like, Oh my gosh, Tracy Letts, this is a great script. And, and then, and then something happened when they were making the movie, whatever. Yeah. Right. And that happens, you know, and I've seen people online say that they enjoyed it. So this is just me reporting back that it didn't work for me, but, uh, yeah, I forgot Tracy Letts wrote it. I should have led with that really. Um, speaking of movies that didn't work for me, I also watched Zack Snyder's Army of the Dead. Did you have <laughs> opportunity to... I'm guessing that's not really your jam. Uh, no, I mean, I love zombie movies and heist movies. And um, <clears throat> and Bobby, my wife, has wanted to watch this. But we can't find nine hours to carve out a day to watch it. Why is it so long? I don't know because all the shit plays out in real time. As I was watching it, I was just like, Oh, this really could have been under two hours pretty easily with some, uh, actual editing, but instead, yeah, clocks in at two and a half hours. I am as anybody who listened to our justice league episode, uh, something of a Zack Snyder apologist. I don't hate Zack Snyder, Uh, by which I mean I've liked a handful of his movies and the ones that I don't like, I will sometimes find some interesting things to say about. Um, 
Army of the Dead just really didn't work for me. I love the premise, which is that uh, Las Vegas is besieged by zombies, so they wall it off. And it's just this city unto itself that is overrun by the living dead. Um, and then a casino owner hires a group of like soldiers and mercenaries to go in, led by Dave Bautista, uh, to go in and steal not steal, but recover $200 million before they nuke the entire city of Las Vegas, the entire city of Las Vegas, the entire city. Yeah. The city of Las Vegas. Um, and so it's a great premise. And like you said, it's a heist movie and a zombie movie. Um, I didn't find myself caring really for any of the characters. Uh, I didn't find them particularly interesting. It, 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 borrows a whole lot from aliens like yeah a whole lot from aliens <laughs> um <laughs> which is a movie i like a lot and so i don't need to see it echoed poorly um there's some you know cool zombie stuff he tries to like add a bunch of new zombie lore and some of it is interesting and some of it is needlessly confusing for the sake of being needlessly confusing and then there's all these weird little Easter eggs. Like you see one zombie get shot and it has like a robot head. And you're like, why is there a robot zombie? And apparently, well, that's going to be answered in the animated miniseries that comes out what? later this year. Right. No. It's like, I don't like this kind of bullshit where I have to do hours of research to like <laughs> no. get all of the little references uh, in the movie. There's a, Supposedly, I missed it, but there's a UFO early in the movie, so we're invoking the presence of aliens. Um, kitchen so there's, sink, right? Yeah, yeah, it's a definite kitchen sink movie. Um, he served as his own director of photography, which was a mistake. One of the yeah. things about Zack Snyder as a filmmaker is that they, his movies tend to look really good, even when yeah. the movies themselves are not great. They look really great because he works with good people. Uh, acting as his own DP I, to me was a mistake because I think the movie kind of looks like garbage. You know, uh, I'm in this Discord chat with uh, a few people and it's split right down the middle evenly. Some liked it, some didn't. And uh, I have seen uh, Dawn of the Dead. I've seen 300 and I've seen uh, Batman versus Superman or whatever whatever that movie's called. Uh, which is weird because I'm not a comic book guy at all, right. which kind of seems like what Zach, that's his thing, I guess. Um, and I've liked all of those movies and I am in Zack Snyder's corner after, you know, all the bullshit that he's gone through. Uh, I might not watch his movies, but I'm rooting for him as a person. And, uh, you know, it just, I, two and a half hours, just, I'm, I'm sorry. I'm not a, I'm not, listen, I like, uh, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll sit down and watch uh, Satan Tango for seven hours. I have no problem with that. It's not a runtime thing, but it's a it's a zombie big blockbuster thing for two and a half hours just does not sound up my alley. Yeah, I, I felt the runtime uh, and I don't always again. I watched his four hour Justice League and I was pretty unfazed by it because of the way that the movie is paced and kind of broken up. Um, I wouldn't necessarily watch it again, but I didn't, you know, maybe cause I really knew what I was in for. I knew sitting down right. like, all right, this is a four hour endeavor. I, I got to buckle in. 
Um, I knew this one was two and a half hours, but I guess, well, compared to Justice League, that's going to be a breeze, right? <laughs> but uh, I, I really felt the length. and yeah. Uh, yeah, it was a bummer. I was really looking forward to it because I, too, am rooting for Zack Snyder as a human being. I was excited to see him do something, quote unquote, original. Uh, it's his first, you know, original movie since, I think, Sucker Punch. Oh, yeah, okay. Uh, which I have been a defender of in the past. I haven't revisited it, but... Uh, so I, I was on board. Uh, I liked that they erased Chris D'Elia from the movie and replaced him with Tig Notaro and uh, Oh, that's cool. Yeah. Um, much better choice, uh, Tig Notaro. <laughs> and she's coming out unscathed because even the people I've seen that don't like the movie seem to really like her. Well, how can you not? Right. Um and yeah, the little bit that I've seen online does really seem to be split. I've seen people who really love it and then people who are not nobody. I haven't seen anybody like hate it, but I've seen a lot of people say, well, this isn't for me. Now, was this supposed to be a, a theatrical thing or was it always going to be a straight to Netflix? This was always for Netflix. Oh, OK, cool. Yeah. Unlike the woman in the window. Right. Yeah. Which is weird because this seems more theatrical than well, yeah. don't you think? I, well, I, I don't know. Woman in the min Window, maybe that's more Oscar Beatty. I don't know. I think so. I don't know. And and this did get a limited theatrical run. I know around here it played a handful of theaters because Adam Risky saw it theatrically a week or two before it went to Netflix. They put it out uh, in, in a couple of okay. theaters. Um, and I think it did well enough that they actually extended the run. Oh, wow. Theatrically. So good for them, you know? Yeah, for sure. Well, like I said, I'm always going to be rooting for Zack Snyder, whether I'm going to watch the movie or not. So, yeah. you know, because he's he's gone through obviously so much shit. So, you know, I'll be in his corner until otherwise, uh, you know, we hear whatever. Right. Right. Uh, the last movie I will talk about is a movie I just watched called The Devil's Eight from 1969. <laughs> yeah which is coming out on Blu-ray from Scorpion releasing. And they announced it this week and I saw it on Twitter and I was like, well, that sounds great. That's a great poster. And that sounds exactly like the kind of movie Rick Dalton would have made because yep. it's got Christopher George and it's got Fabian and it's, uh, came out in 69. So I'm like, that's a Rick, that's a total Rick Dalton movie. So I searched it on Amazon to see, if it was streaming, I think, because I knew the Blu-ray doesn't come out till like, August. So I searched it on Amazon to see if it was streaming. And all that came up was this one DVD that's totally unavailable, out of print, can't be bought, even used. And I thought, well, wait, I think I own that DVD. It was like a Shout Factory four-pack. Oh, I remember that seeing that tweet. That's crazy. Yeah, with, uh, I think I bought it because Vicious Lips... And Unholy Rollers with Claudia Jennings was on this four-pack. And I was like, well, I have to... This was before Vicious Lips was on Blu-ray. Uh, and so I was like, well, I got to own this disc. And so I had no idea that I already owned The Devil's Eight. But it was very exciting to discover that. So I was able to watch it. And it's fun. It's, you know, uh, Christopher George plays uh, a guy who's kind of hired to go undercover in prison and bust out seven other guys to take down some bootleggers moonshiners and uh which is not what i was expecting i thought it was going to be the dirty dozen but it's not right. really it's it's a lot more kind of low-key than that but it plays like the dirty dozen and it's got a really great cast you know that includes in addition to the people i already mentioned there's linda day george there's ron rifkin in an early role there's ralph yeah. meeker there's larry bishop uh later of hell ride which 
was one of my favorite references that Adam Risky made, I think, on that 3,000 Miles to Graceland, because we both really hate that movie. Um, but yeah, uh, it's it's a really fun movie, and it has this amazing end title song that's like this upbeat pop song that recaps the entire plot, and I would say it's almost worth it to watch the entire movie <laughs> just to get to that song. <laughs> those are the best. Yeah. I love those types of songs. It's not the kind of movie that that really you would think would have that kind of a song over the end credits. So it took me by surprise when all of a sudden we have like a British invasion band singing about the plot of the movie, but I was into it. Performed by Mike Kerb and the Sidewalk Sound. <laughs> they are good. Let me tell you. <laughs> <laughs> That's cool. Yeah. I, uh, I saw this uh, drop like the, the Kino announcement and I, I'd never heard of it. And just, I mean, judging by the the cover, I was like, I am so into this. And then yeah. the cast, uh, so it sounds like something right up my alley. Yeah, no, it's it's a lot of fun. Uh, and I recommend people pick it up on Blu-ray or check it out if it goes to streaming or something uh, when that disc comes out in, I think, August. Sweet. Yeah. Uh, and that's it. So let's get into I Know What You Did Last Summer. From 1997, directed <laughs> by the great Jim Gillespie. Uh huh. Uh huh. <laughs> uh, okay, I, let me let me preface this by saying I understand June exploitation. Like we're we're looking for sleazy stuff. Uh, and originally, and I still want to do this episode, Patrick, but originally we were going to talk about Men at Work. Yes. And I I haven't seen that movie since I was a kid, but I just feel like it would be entertaining it'd be fun to talk about kind of same goes for i know what you did last summer and i thought okay well let's do something uh related to june exploitation it's going to come out on slashers day you said so i threw out a couple titles and listen i understand i know what you did last summer it ain't sleazy it's it's super super pretty it's part of that group in the 90s which we'll talk about i'm sure uh and it's not the top of everybody's like slasher list, but I, at least I hope, I, I felt like this would make for a fun conversation. Yeah. Uh, any movie could make for a fun conversation. In theory. <laughs> Will I know what you did last summer? I don't know because I had not seen this movie since I think I went to a midnight screening the night it opened in 1997. And then I haven't seen it since. So it's been a nearly 25 years. Holy crap. Yeah. Um, because this wasn't a movie that I held in especially high regard, even at the time. And I know that that is going to be an unpopular sentiment because there's this thing. It's, I think it's particularly unique to horror, although it's probably true of all movies, where if enough time passes everything kind of becomes a classic. And I think that's, <laughs> I think it's very true in horror. And I don't say that yes. uh, in a condescending way. It's just something that I've noticed that as years go by, every movie finds a fan base. Yep. And I think I know what you did last summer is now regarded as sort of this beloved classic of late nineties horror. And I will disagree with that. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> it's fine. It's like a fine movie. There's not even anything that's like aggressively wrong with it. I just feel like it's, 
feels kind of like a TV movie. Oh my goodness. Uh, 100% agree with you. Now I will say this, uh, this is along with, and, and I want to play a little game here in a little bit, uh, kind of this or that type of thing. But, uh, this is one of the horror movies for, uh, my generation, which has just newly been named the geriatric millennials. Ooh, congratulations. Uh, Yes, thank you. Um, I hate it. And, <laughs> but this is this is one of those. So like 97, this comes out. I was a sophomore in high school. And it when I first saw it in the theater, it hit hard. I loved it. And then I didn't watch it for, you know, whatever, 20 years. Uh, and then I did – this is actually the second podcast I've done on I Know What You Did last summer for some reason. <laughs> uh, I can't even remember the first one I did. I just remember watching it for that one, and I was like, this movie is absolute trash. This is garbage. What is – how did how did I like this? Uh, but then <laughs> five, six, seven years later, whenever it was, I watched it again uh, for this show, and I was like – it it does what it's supposed to do. It, it accomplishes its its pretty goal, and uh, I appreciate that about it. And I dug it. It's entertaining enough. Yeah, entertaining enough. I think is a fair assessment of the movie. Um, <laughs> let me ask you: Have you read the Lois Duncan book that this is based on? Uh, that was uh, my second note. So, Patrick, let me ask you: Have oh, okay. you read the Lois I Duncan have not. book? I have, I have not. not. I have not. Yeah. Okay. Uh, my wife yeah, has. I, never... She has. I oh, put really? it on last night, and she said, "Oh, I used to love this book, and I don't think I've ever read anything by Lois Duncan." Same. Yeah. I mean, I honestly, until this came out, and I was actually paying attention to writers and directors and that sort of thing. However, many years ago, ten years ago, I'd never heard of Lois Duncan. So, you know, it's and I, I was never into you know like the Christopher Pike or the Goosebumps or like all those. No, I, me that either. Was a, I, one, I was too old for Goosebumps. Yeah. Uh, but for Pike, I just, I don't know, it just didn't really, it wasn't my thing. So, um, so like Lois Duncan seems like I probably wouldn't be into her stuff either. Yeah, I kind of skipped all that and just went right to Stephen King and Clive Barker. Like I didn't. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, and, you know, I know what you did last summer in 97 was a huge deal because it was the new horror movie from Kevin Williamson, who had broken out with Scream the year before. So it was like it was like going to see True Romance right after Reservoir Dogs <laughs> became such a hit. You know, it was like, this guy has another project. We got to go right. see it. And um, it's it's unlike Scream in most ways, except <laughs> that, you know, it has a young, attractive TV cast, many of them before they were stars, I guess, Ryan Phillippe and Freddie Prince Jr. I don't think were really anybody at the time this movie got made. Yeah. Um, yeah, well, I mean, Sarah, Sarah Michelle Gellar, she was only a year into Buffy. Right. And then uh, uh, J-Love was, you know, she was on Party of Five, of course, which, again, I never watched. So, like, I mean, when I went and saw this in the theater, I had no freaking clue who these people were. Oh, you didn't know any of them? N none of them. Okay. I knew Jennifer Love Hewitt. I didn't watch Party of Five, but I was aware of her as a human being. And Sarah Michelle Gellar had actually been on the soap opera that my mom and sisters watched. She was on All My Children for many years. You uh, watched it too, Patrick. It was on in my house, uh, <laughs> so I definitely saw more of it than uh, I should have. 
Uh, I watched a shitload of All My Children, so it's okay. Did you really? <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> uh, well, that, too, will make Erica very happy because she used to love All My Children and is still lamenting its cancellation. Um, so, yeah, Kevin Williamson was the big draw, but there's none of the sort of self-referential uh, cleverness of Scream. This is just a very straightforward adaptation of like a YA thriller. Yep. Well, and I think in that sense, it's successful. I think uh, having not read the novel, and you can ask Erica, you know, how, how well was it adapted? But I can imagine it was adapted, you know, good enough. And I, I think the, the thing... Listen, his his scream script is obviously uh, leaps and bounds better than I know what you did last summer. But you also have Wes Craven directing Scream, which is going to add another, you know, 25 levels uh, above uh, God bless his heart, Jim Gillespie. Uh, But, you know, well, the thing was uh, this Kevin Williamson, you know, it's famous. He wrote this before Scream and he tried to sell this before Scream. Scream sold first and so he you know he he blew up so he was able to sell this script and and get this made and it shows like this is this is uh again who am i nobody uh but this is not scream like he is he is uh more practiced in his script of scream than he is here yeah yeah i think that's uh fair to say um I'm struggling to find anything remarkable about the movie. It's like as much as we're kind of goofing on Jim Gillespie. um, I think it's like well made enough. It's pretty slick. Yep. Uh, There's a couple shots that I liked quite a bit. Um, there's one really cool shot, uh, later in the film where Ryan Phillippe and Sarah Michelle Gellar are like behind a scrim at a pageant rehearsal. Yeah. And, uh, they're obscured by this scrim and then somebody, you know, turns a light on and suddenly you can see through the scrim and you drop in on their conversation. I thought that was a really cool way to stage that moment. Um, there's, you know, uh, it's it's pretty tame like this yeah. should be a pg-13 except yes. for some language and i guess the johnny galecki death is pretty brutal yeah uh but again i mean imagine this is made in the 80s we would see you know hook goes up through also spoilers for i know what you did last summer but <laughs> hook goes up through his chin and right. then the guy drags him into it and, and i want to talk about what the fuck is this place uh, Johnny works at, but pushes him down into the boiling water. In the eighties, we're gonna see Johnny Gillespie uh, come back up. Is that his name? Am I saying uh, that right? Galecki. Galecki, uh, come back up, and we're gonna see like the you know like when Michael Myers boils right, right, right. Up, you know, in Halloween too. Uh, but yeah, I agree. It is pretty tame. Uh, it's fun when the hand comes off at the end. But, you know, it, this is, I think this comes out today and it is a PG-13, right? Yeah. I mean, again, they, they might trim just a little bit, but probably not. You could probably just release it, except for the language. You could probably release it as a PG-13. That Ryan Phillippe, he's got a potty mouth. <laughs> he really does, doesn't he? <laughs> um, I forgot about the hand. I did like the hand coming off on the rope. Well, so here's uh, the first, I don't know 
third of the movie, I guess the first act, uh, for me, does like it's just it's so uh, generic and so you know YA that I'm like you know as a 40 year old man I'm like this is not for me. But as soon as the stalking starts and then you know the slashing, I, I think it it really kicks into high gear. I I really dig. I was totally into it this time, you know the third time that I watched it here. Um, but it it did take me a while to to really get into it. Well, I think there's a, I think there, pardon the pun, I think there's a really good hook in terms of this killer, right? In terms of it being this killer who's a fisherman hunting teenagers in this, like, seaside fishing town. It's, they're going for something, and I don't think it comes across, and that's part of the problem for me, there's a disconnect, because they seem to be going for this kind of My Bloody Valentine, working class uh, slasher, and there's a they hint at it a little bit with like Freddie Prinz gets a job on a fishing boat, but otherwise everyone seems kind of rich and privileged. Yes. And so the whole working class thing doesn't come across. Yep. Um, and I think that's a that's a failure of the movie. No, I agree. They, uh, like these people are so unrelatable, and especially now watching it, uh, you know, all these years later. Obviously, these you know we look at them as like the pretty people of the of the '90s, the early 2000s. Uh, for all these movies that came out. Um, but yeah, even then I remember watching it, uh, thinking, cause you know, I come from the Midwest, uh, lower middle class. I don't relate to these fucking people, you know, these rich, snotty freaking assholes, uh, <laughs> that, you know, live seaside, whether it was, is this California or North Carolina? I couldn't tell. Right. No, I don't know. Whatever. Uh, I'm not relating to them and, uh, North Carolina. Like, Sorry to interrupt you. North Carolina. Okay, so that was a huge disconnect uh, for me, even back in 1997 when I was, you know, 16 years old or whatever. And uh, but now, you know, watching it, knowing what I'm going into, you know, I it has these types of movies have their own cachet or flavor that, uh, you know, the movies from the late 90s, early 2000s had uh most of these kids were rich spoiled kids uh that nobody could relate to um but that was what we were fed uh you know we were we were like geese and they were force feeding us to turn us into foie gras with these uh cheesy horror movies these studio horror movies and uh, i totally ate them all up and uh but i'm not like excited to go back and rewatch, you know the lot of them anytime soon here well, if Scream had never come out, uh, so if Scream had never come out, obviously we already touched upon the fact that like this movie probably never gets made. But let's say Scream doesn't exist, but I still know what you did last summer in its current iteration is still released in 1997. Are we still talking about it? Like, is no, it still no. looked back on as a classic? No, no, and I don't. I don't even think it gets. Uh, it's two two sequels, <laughs> which or... I've only seen one of them. It's a special edition uh, trilogy box set uh, recently released from either 88 or 101, whoever put it out. Uh, yeah, there's there's no way. Absolutely no way. Um, I've only seen I Still Know What You Did Last Summer, which is a great title. 
So uh, I okay, so I had never seen either of these sequels, and before I rewatched, I know what you did last summer, uh, last night of uh, of this recording. I watched. I still know last weekend, uh, like Saturday. And it was uh, not good. Didn't like it at all. <laughs> um, and then I watched Al Always Know What You Did Last Summer. So I Still Know comes out a year after this. Yeah. Uh, which makes sense. This movie does well. It deserves a sequel. Whatever. Sequel sucks. Uh, I, I'll Always Know comes out like, what, eight, ten, eight, eight or nine, whatever, years later. Uh, and that is really not good. Really. What is the, what is the premise of that one? Okay. So we know at the end of the sequel, I still know what you did last summer. Uh, Jay love hears a noise. She gets up out of bed and she's with FPJ. He's brushing his teeth. Uh, (laughs) Can you hear me? Can you hear me? No, he can't. You know why? Cause, uh, Willis or whatever the fuck his name is slashed him. So she gets out of, yeah, she gets out of bed and this is after they shoot him multiple times. This is the same dude from the first one. They should like this dude should be dead. Um, so she gets out of bed. He grabs her ankles and it, the final shot is her being pulled, you know, screaming, scraping the ground, being pulled under the bed. That's the end, you know, whatever. That's a good for 1998 for the teens. It hits, whatever. I don't remember that at all, but I haven't seen it since 1998. So the third one, I'm like, what the, what's happening here? They, they're dead. Everybody's dead. Well, Fisherman's back, uh, but he's like some sort of like demon thing now. <laughs> His eyes glow red. <laughs> uh, no, I'm telling you, he's like, it's a supernatural thing. And it's these teens like, oh, did you hear about this thing that happened 10 years ago on July 4th? And they play like the movie opens and they play this prank where the fisherman's back and, you know, he's killing people. But it's a it's a prank. But one of their friends ends up accidentally dying. They have to hide the fact that, oh, we were part of this prank and our friend died, but we're not going to tell anybody. And it's just it's a rehash of the first one. So a year later, blah, blah, blah. The fisherman's back with the glowing red eyes. (laughs) It's uh, so here's here's what I was telling my friend Julian last night, though. Uh, it's not, God, it's so not good. It's worse than the second one, but it's the type of worse that I could totally, if I did drugs, I would, you know, smoke some weed and like sit with friends and watch this and have a good time. Okay. The second, the second one isn't that it's just not fun. I, I just don't think it's fun. It's not good. I saw the second one because I had a friend who worked at a movie theater in 1998 and he got us in to see the trailers for the water boy or Micho black, whatever was showing the preview for phantom menace. That's why we went, gotcha. Saw the trailer for phantom menace and then left to go see. I still know what you did last summer. And that was the first and last time I saw it. I tried to watch it again today, but it's not, I know what you did last summer streaming on HBO max. I still know what you did last summer, not streaming on HBO max. So I was not able to watch it. Yeah. It, uh, I watched it. Uh, I have, why do I own these on VHS? <laughs> oh, nice. Yeah. Um, and I swear to God, I almost pulled the trigger on that, uh, you know, that, that new release Blu-ray set they put out. 
but haha, you can't fool me. <laughs> Whatever the 40 bucks, I'm not doing it. Yeah, because then you got to pay to like import it too. Yeah, the shipping. Yeah, no, it's, it's, I'm sorry, but it's not happening. No. Uh, but okay, so uh, let's do this real quick. So this was like a huge time, mid to late 90s. Scream comes out in 96, right? Uh, yeah. Okay, and it creates this like this glut of these teenage movies, and everybody tries to live up to Scream. Everybody fails, obviously. I think Scream is still rightly hailed as a classic. It, it's sort of like a turning point. Um, that's great. We're gonna put that aside. We know Scream is great. Do you, and I assume you like Scream. I love Scream. Okay, uh, as do I. So. I want to say, let's let's do a little bit of this or that. Uh, I know what you did last summer, or the craft. Uh, gosh, I think the craft is more interesting. Okay, I know what you did last summer, or Urban Legend. Oof. <laughs> they're almost neck and neck for their like ordinariness. Urban Legend, a little bit more inventive, uh, higher body count better kills and i like jamie blanks as a person and i don't know shit about jim gillespie so i'm gonna go urban legend all right sticking with jamie blanks i know what you did last summer or valentine going valentine okay <laughs> not looking good for i know what you did last <laughs> I'm uh, telling we're, you. we're gonna transition this podcast into a the woman in the window podcast for a minute. <laughs> uh, uh, i know what you did last summer or I know where you're going here. Final Destination. Uh, Yeah, got to go Final Destination. I know what you did last summer. Or The Faculty. Got to go The Faculty. <laughs> I know what you did last summer. <laughs> or Idle Hands. Uh, Idle Hands. <laughs> oh, God. Okay, one more. I know what you did last summer. Or Disturbing Behavior. No. <laughs> I'll say I know what you did last summer, even though. Oh, see, I agree with you on all of those. Except for, I think I don't even think it's close for disturbing behavior. I don't know why, but I love that movie. I need to rewatch it. I remember being really fascinated. It was like an early DVD that I bought, and it came with a ton of deleted scenes that like hinted at a completely different movie. And I remember being fascinated by like that reconstruction. I think I have the Scream Factory Blu-ray that has all the same stuff on there, but I have not revisited the movie in twenty years. Yeah, I need to pick up that that Scream Blu-ray, but. It, I don't know what it is like, you know, cause it's always, are you the faculty or are you disturbing behavior? And I am like 100% the uh, disturbed behavior over, I mean, everything, but scream. I don't know what it is. Uh, I haven't seen disturbed behavior in, in like five years. So maybe I shouldn't rewatch it. Cause it's going to fuck everything up for me. Who knows? Uh, it's got, you know, that Harvey danger song going for uh, it. Hello flagpole sitter. Yeah. And I know, I'll tell you, I know what you did last summer is proof that shitty covers are not a new phenomenon for horror. Oh my God. The movie opens up with, I had to pause it. <laughs> so I, obviously it's typo negative with a <laughs> dumbass voice. I'm sorry if you love typo negative. I think they're anyways. Uh, and I was like, wait, what the fuck is this? And uh, covering of all people, Seals and Croft. Yeah. And I was like, no, what are we doing here? <laughs> this is not correct. So wrong. I remember the Koala Shaker cover of Hush. I don't remember there being so many covers because I don't remember like 
a Hey Bulldog being in there. I didn't remember Summer Breeze being in there. <laughs> um, and then even the songs that aren't covers are just like the most 90s bands like L7, <laughs> The Offspring, and my favorite, Green Apple Quickstep. Yeah, what the fuck is that? I'm not real sure, but I think I remember them existing in the 90s. Well, you got uh, well, and then the Mighty Mighty Boss Tones, forever known as the band playing when the fisherman is is hit on the highway. <laughs> <laughs> and, and the last my... thing he hears is just a <laughs> shitty trombone. <laughs> I, now, okay, I I'm a big laugh all you want. I'm a big ska guy, so like, oh, all right, I apologize. Are, are like, I love the Boss Tones, but I 100% agree with you. Like. When, the last thing I want to hear be, as a car is like careening into me, breaking my kneecaps, is the boss tones or any type of scoff for that matter. I don't want to hear Freddie <laughs> Prinze Jr. going, oh shit, man. Looking so, at okay, deer in the headlights as I do because <laughs> it's the way he fucking got, walks through life. The, you know, he, uh, the way he furrows his brow always, even after like. Uh, you know, the, the year passes and he turns around and they're like, oh, uh, Ray. First of all, what, what are we doing with the character name of Ray for an 18 year old? No, that's no. Anyways, he turns around. And he's got this like smoldering look. He almost looks like Danny Houston does in 30 Days of Night nice. with like the all black eyes. Yeah. Um, uh, a better movie than I Know What You Did Last Summer. But uh but then he goes back to the furrowing brow where he's like constantly asking, don't you guys believe me? <laughs> because he seems like he would be confused by the opening of a jar in this movie. He, and by all accounts, Freddie Prince Jr. is like a very nice guy. And I know yes. Lexi Alexander has told stories about he auditioned for Punisher Warzone and gave this incredible performance and she really oh, yeah. wanted to cast him as the villain and wasn't allowed to and had to cast Dominic West. And um, so I have nothing against Freddie Prince Jr. No, I, just as an actor, he's never done anything for me and is sort of, he's like one of these guys that never closes his mouth and that <laughs> bothers me. <laughs> yeah. He, he has this forever perplexed look on his face and I, I agree with you. I love Freddie Prince Jr. When he's funny, like, he can be so fucking funny. He's hysterical. Uh, but, you know, just like all of them, they were kind of typecast and kind of trapped in this teeny bopper, whatever it was, in the mid to late 90s uh, cinema. Uh, but then you have, and I want to know, what is the deal with all of these actresses uh, of this time period with, the, like, the uh, kind of the... the they're like squinting or like the, the, um, I don't know. They're, they're squinty eyes of these teen actresses of this time period. So like you got, uh, J love always doing it in this movie. Like, she's like, Oh, um, I really care for you. <laughs> Whatever. I, I, I can't even tell what the hell those eyes are, but Nev does it in scream all the time yeah. in all the scream movies. Yeah. Uh, Rachel Lee cook does it. And she's all that, uh, Amanda Detmer in, uh, Oh shit! What's the Freddie Prince? Uh, was it Boys and Girls? Boys and Girls. Oh yeah, boy. Uh, Allie Larder, you know, did did that all the time. That was her character in in Final Destination. But like all these actresses did that, and I, I was wondering like, was that a some sort of studio note or direction? Like the 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 executive was like, make sure you tell our leads, they have to squint. Right. 
like is that a thing like all of them did that so weird did they all go to the same acting coach who (laughs) taught them that way did they all just watch nev campbell do it and scream and say well that's the way to to big movie stardom (laughs) well good for them because i'll tell you what as a uh as a teenage boy totally ate it up (laughs) i was all about squinting their way right into your heart Uh, uh, Jennifer Love Hewitt, kind of an uninteresting protagonist in this. I almost wished the movie had swerved and killed her off and made Helen the final girl. Yes, I, I agree. And I thought it was interesting. So, uh, Sarah Michelle Gellar, she's a year into Buffy and here she is, uh, kind of playing, I mean, almost the opposite of Buffy, yeah. right? She's like not tough at all and, you know, gets, gets whacked, but, um, I thought that was interesting, and I I like her. I don't know. I I think they try to do something with J Love's character, where like, you know, we're reintroduced a year later, and uh, like you have that slow zoom on the back of her head in the dorm room, and we're supposed to be like, oh, who is this? Who's this supposed to be? Well, no fucking shit. Who is this? <laughs> she turns around and she she looks like she hasn't slept in yeah. two weeks. Yeah. And she's, you know, been huffing paint or whatever. Yeah. Um, and one, I good transformation. I will say that. Sure. It's a totally good transformation. Uh, but then she goes home and <laughs> the scene where she's with her mom uh, and they're eating the fish. And I have the quote here. Where is, <laughs> where is it? Her mom says, uh, you know, oh, I, I, I tried to get monkfish but it was out of season how's how's the snapper are you on drugs <laughs> and i i don't know what that was about if, if if it was supposed to be i don't think it was supposed to be funny i laughed my ass off when i watched it the other <laughs> night but uh but it's supposed to tell us like they're shoving it down our throats something changed in this girl right <laughs> right she's haunted oh, right right and it's, I mean, again, there's an interesting idea that, like, instead of going off to college, Helen is working in her parents' store, and Freddie Prince got a job on a boat. Like, their lives are all kind of frozen by what happened with them. Right. Uh, again, kind of interesting. Doesn't really inform their characters much, because as soon as they're back together, they fall right back into their bickering ways. Um, right. And that's another, you know, the Ryan Phillippe character is so insufferable and i i generally like ryan Phillippe as an actor uh but he's just such a prick in this movie you can't understand why anybody would hang around with him and right. i i'm not a fan of movies and it's a it's a staple of the slasher movie unfortunately where you have a group of people who seem like they can't stand one another they all just bicker and fight constantly um going all the way back to the you know the friday the 13th movies um it's just not my favorite cliche. And so for it to be employed here turns me off a little bit. I agree. I think, uh, well, you know, you have, uh, J love was, what was she? 17 or 18 when she made this and FPJ was 18, I think. Uh, and then I think Philippi was like the, you know, the quote unquote vet of the group. But, I could not side with any of them. Even Sarah Michelle Gellar's character, she's, uh, you know, this, she's the pretty 
girl. She's the popular one. You know, she's the girl that I hated it when I was in high school. Uh, and even when she, you know, wakes up with the with the hair and uh, I, I still I'm like, you know, I don't care if any of these kids live or die. Right. Which is pretty important for a movie. Right. You need someone to cheer for. And, you know, if you find yourself starting to cheer for the slashers, something is topsy turvy. And the identity of the slasher is just very convoluted. You almost oh, wish it had just been some random, like a Jason Voorhees type or something, you know? Like, because again, the fisherman iconography is cool. It works for the location. The hook is a cool weapon. Like, yes. it's got a lot going for it. But the movie has to kind of do these somersaults in order to create the identity of this killer. Um, one of my favorite moments in the movie is when they go visit Anne Heche yeah. playing the sort of backwoods hillbilly sister of the guy who dies at the <laughs> beginning of the movie. And uh, she says he left a note and then fetches it from what appears to be an outhouse. <laughs> I, that's where she keeps the suicide <laughs> note at the ready, by the way. Right. <laughs> right. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. Uh, Maybe it's just a year. shed, but it looked like an outhouse. To yeah. Me. No. Yeah. It, where again, where is this? Like that tells me, okay, they're out in the boonies somewhere in North Carolina, but uh, yeah, big year for Anne Hayes here. You got this, uh, you got, uh, was it wag the dog volcano and then Donnie Brasco. All wow. coming out in 1997, yeah. And just one year away from Six Days, Seven Nights, and Psycho. <laughs> what is Six Days, Seven Nights? That's her and Harrison Ford. Oh, how did I miss a, Yeah, having I'm a romance. Shot. Oh, boy, okay. I'll have to go back and watch that never. I think their plane crashes, and they fall in love, even though they're 20 years <laughs> apart, and she was a lesbian, but, you know. That kind of chemistry can't be faked. No, absolutely, absolutely not. Uh, no, I I agree with you. I really like the fisherman as you know. They really tried to make him like this is going to be the next big horror icon. Uh, forget about the the guy with the you know the spooky Halloween mask that we picked up at Walgreens <laughs> and decided to make that into a thing. Um, which is weird that that and again it comes back to the movie, of course. But that silly kind of costume blows up and we have this really cool, you know, uh, trying to be a horror icon fisherman with the slicker and the hat and the like with the hook and everything. I really dig it. And the way Gillespie films it. So like uh, during uh, Sarah Michelle Gellar's death, she's running uh, down the alley and like she she turns the corner and the camera uh, stays on her she runs past and then here comes the fisherman and you see a shadow growing on like the side of the building it's a total nod to um i imagine a nightmare on elm street with mm -hmm. freddie you know with the extended arms uh but then you see his just silhouette of him walking fast with the slicker and the hat and the hook super cool there's some amazing shots and i really appreciate it seems like excuse me it seems like gillespie i mean paid an Again, I haven't seen I, I haven't seen any other Jim Gillespie movie, but uh, uh, paid homage to like he, he knows film. So like I felt a lot of um, like during Philippi's death, 
I felt a lot of um, uh, speaking of De Palma blowout. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, w- was that just me or? Um, well, no, I could see that in terms of having uh, Sarah Michelle Geller on stage, kind of screaming, and um, I-, I caught some Christine when the car comes after him. Yes. Yeah, there was that, and then oh, I had another one. I can't remember. Uh, but there were some shots that I I appreciated. Uh, that you know I he's obviously he knows film, and I appreciate when a filmmaker you know kind of shows that. And and the, and it wasn't an obvious way, like you know a wink and a nod type of thing. Uh, he was just kind of doing what he loves, and I thought that was really cool. Yeah, yeah. He made a, a movie. I'm looking at his resume right now. He hasn't directed too many movies, but I have seen a movie he made called Detox, a.k.a. I See You. Oh, is that Sly? The Sylvester Stallone sort yeah. of slasher that is not great. I would say I Know What You Did Last Summer is a better movie. Really? Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. If we're either oaring that shit. Yeah. <laughs> We're not. We're not. This, we're not this or that, I should say. Right? This or, okay, there we go. Uh, yeah, that's interesting. Yeah, he hasn't directed much. No. Huh. And I uh, never saw Venom, although I've heard that it's kind of cool. That's like but, the. It was one of those like generic dimension horror movies that came out in the 2000s, but it's got a whole voodoo angle. Oh, interesting. Um, and it's. I've heard decent things about it, to be honest. I've just never seen it. Oh, cool. Um, what I love about, uh, speaking of kind of the location here, I love how these films are kind of take, they take place in this, um, sort of, uh, village of some sort, like Freddie Prince Jr. refers to wherever they are, Croker, or like where Croker's Bay or wherever they're living, uh, as a fishing village. And I, you know, where like Scream, it's taken place in obviously, like rich country California, but still it's this little community. Uh, but what I find funny about this tiny, they refer to it often as a village in, I know what you did last summer. Nobody fucking knows each other. <laughs> like the cops don't know. Like when, when, uh, you know, the cop dies, yeah. he doesn't know, uh, J love. Like she, he doesn't know her character. It, it just, it, it boggles my mind. Like, can we, we have certain things in the script, but but we're missing some. Actually, I find interesting things that that could make some sort of connection. I don't know. I just find that weird. Yeah, I do like the location. I like you know the, that there is kind of a sense of place um, to the movie, and that I think it has that going for it. I don't. There's nothing about it that I think is actively bad. It's just right. it, none of it stands out really to me i mean you know i've pointed out a couple things that uh, honestly in this conversation it made me like it more right uh than i did watching it earlier today but uh no i lost it i was going to ask something about the sequel and now i forgot what i was going to say but uh that that final scene on the boat i think is is interesting it's equal parts uh just like awful to watch uh but also equal parts interesting because you have like Freddie Prince Jr. turns into this like Errol Morris type of character. Errol Flynn? Errol Flynn. Thank you, Errol Morris. What <laughs> It'd the be awesome if he turned into Errol Morris. What is, oh, the, the documentary, the documentary right. filmmaker. Yeah, yeah that's right. He just starts yeah, he making turns into Errol Morris in, <laughs> or, anyways. 
uh, interviews, whatever. Never mind. <laughs> Fuck that. Uh, anyway, Errol Flynn, Jesus Christ. Uh, like he, you know, this swashbuckler Errol Morris, Jesus. Uh, like swinging down from the rope uh, type of thing, uh, which I think is silly as hell, but also super cool. Uh, I think FPJ sells it. Uh, but then you have like the obvious, God, it's so obvious thing where uh, you know she's underneath the ship she's trying to get away from the guy and oh she's gonna crawl through the ice pit but she has to take off her sweater first and reveal right. the halter top right and you know show her boobs so so she can go through the ice and i'm just like oh god why why do we why do we do yeah. why do we do this yeah well and then there's that coda where we have to show her in a towel oh. for no goddamn reason you know <laughs> is there any explanation well, that... in the sequel for like that coda? Uh, no, we I just think... we just pretend it didn't happen. Well, yeah, we pre- yeah exactly because okay. he jumps through the mirror, right? Uh, but that yeah, they never bring that up again in the sequel, of okay. course. Uh, yeah, super weird. Uh, before that, like after, uh, like before the towel scene, after they're off the boat, just the most absolute cringeworthy where I was like, Oh, this movie might fucking suck <laughs> is when like her and FPJ are like hugging, they're holding each other and the cop is done talking to him. And uh, FPJ goes, I love you, Julie. No one gets me the way you do. And they're playing it straight. <laughs> and she goes, I understand your pain. <laughs> and I was like, Oh, this, this could be the worst movie ever. <laughs> you really fucked it up here. Because I was, I was like into it. I was like, "Oh, this is a cool slasher," but then they just fucking ruin it. <laughs> That's the Kevin Williamson magic right there. <laughs> uh, God bless you, K. K. Will. Yeah. Are you excited <laughs> for uh, for Scream Five? Um, you know, I've seen Scream One. And that's it. <laughs> oh, you never saw any of the sequels? I never saw any of the sequels, no. Sarah Michelle Gellar is in Scream 2 and is killed off, spoilers, uh, the same year this movie comes out. Oh, God, this is a big year for her, yeah, huh? Yeah, yeah. Jeez, with Buffy, this, Scream 2, well, good for her. I do I do really love Sarah Michelle Gellar. I think she's a fun actress, and I, you know, she seems like a really cool. Like, her and, and Freddie Prince just seem like a really cool couple. So that's, you know, that's nice to see. Yeah, definitely. I'm glad they're still together, you know, at a time when it seems like most Hollywood couples do not make it. I'm glad that they have. Yeah, and we got to witness their, this is where they met. They met on I Know What You Did Last Summer. Well, then it's a beautiful thing. I'm glad it I, exists. It's, I mean, it's the best movie now. It's the ultimate matchmaker. <laughs> <laughs> it was the squinty eyes that did it, I think. Totally. You know what? She never does that. So no. she is super cool in my book. <laughs> she avoids the squinty eyes. <laughs> uh, anything else about I Know What You Did Last Summer you want to mention? Oh, I think we covered it. <laughs> All right. <laughs> uh, well, this was fun and honestly did make me appreciate the movie more than I did before we started talking about it. So thank you oh, for good. that. Yeah. Well, that's that's always the goal. Yeah, right. Um, where can people find you and the Cult Movies podcast? Uh, just A.K. Donnelly on Twitter and Cult Movies Pod on Twitter. Um, but, uh, you know, I'm a... I'm a ride or die for F this movie, so I'm having oh, well, fun doing you. the 5282 thing. Yes. No, it's been really, really uh, great so far. I enjoyed the Summer Lovers column that comes out tomorrow when we're recording this because I have seen Summer Lovers, and it is a horny movie. 
Oh my god, so horny. <laughs> I might watch it after this. <laughs> <laughs> it's because we were talking about Jennifer Love Hewitt in a towel. Now you're all worked up. <laughs> no, I want to see uh, uh, Peter Gallagher's ass. <laughs> well, man, now you got me worked up. <laughs> There's a she's on the phone with Freddie Prince Jr. and now they're all lovey dovey again. And at one point she goes, A towel. Like he said, What are you wearing? What conversation are they having? I mean, this is it's so ninety seven. That's how we talked in ninety seven. You know, I, I I so quickly forget. <laughs> um, anyway, thank you guys very much for listening. Please participate in June Sploitation. For more details, go to fthismovie.com and you can follow us on Twitter at fthismovie. Like us on Facebook or email us at fthismoviepodcast at gmail.com and hear us wherever you listen to your podcast. Thanks again, Anthony. Bye. Thanks for listening to FS Movie.